If you've been told to pull up your socks, then make sure it's a pair of TNT socks. The TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Awesome. Good uh, feedback coming in, not just on the chat box, but also via email. Arthur has indicated, and this may be something that you haven't cited as yet, but when Hunter Biden ran out of that congressional hearing, he walked out at a particular time when Marjorie Taylor Greene stood up. And what Marjorie Taylor Greene began to do was look down at her photographic work because Marjorie Taylor Greene has been very, very explicit in describing Hunter Biden's personal likes and behaviour. In other words, she was about to show explicit photos of Hunter from the laptop, which Hunter wasn't hanging around to be privy to, which is why he quickly stormed out and those Republicans started to say, oh, oh, um, all of a sudden, um, he set, you know, the 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 cats meowing when he decided to run out of the the building because of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said, um, "You're scared of what I'm about to say." Well, it's a little bit more than what you're about to produce from those laptops. Now, um, another response here from a listener by the name of Pete, Pete from Mount Waverley in Australia says, love your shows, great and entertaining. Thank you for starting early back, a little bit earlier than what I have been used to starting back at. Really appreciate that. Thank you very much. I'm so glad that you are listening when you are. It's funny, you know, mainstream media has this massive survey-driven uh, holiday. Uh, that, that applies to television and also radio, where, where people go off for six and seven, sometimes eight weeks. And there are some very, very famous operators and successful operators who still do that. But at the end of the day, aren't we there for listeners and viewers? So therefore, should we not just come back to try and up our ratings results? Should we not just come back to do what we should do because people are listening and watching? Anyway, that seems to be the motto, the mission right here at TNT, which is why 99.9% .9 of people are back right now. Um, but thank you, Pete. I appreciate that little email. Thank you. Now, sometimes I just shake my head when politicians and police turn a blind eye to very obvious and serious breaches of the law online. It's almost as if it's too hard for them or maybe cybercrime is too hard for them to understand or they think it's outside their domain and they don't want to take on the big tech giants. What squibs? What squibs? One of my viewers here on today's News Talk, Warwick, sent me a series of slides from Facebook last month which showed how freely the illicit drug makers and drug distributors in our cities are able to use Facebook, that platform, to sell their deadly stock. And it's a classic example um of no one paying attention, no one who should be paying attention, either paying attention or wanting to pay attention. Now, Warwick explained how an account titled Exotic House had advertised with Facebook on Marketplace, selling marijuana, cocaine, meth, ecstasy, and other drugs. And they were also trading 
a little less obviously from their Facebook account. But there was no bringing down their Facebook account or no bringing down their ad, despite being totally illegal and going against all rules under the meta banner. It's almost as if, oh, it doesn't matter. It's only cocaine. It's only drugs that can kill people. Who cares? Um, and it's still o- operating. These Facebook page, I don't know about the marketplace ad because these happen randomly and you've got to be lucky to get on marketplace and cop one of these ads, but you can still find the Facebook page. I found it overnight. So you don't have to be secretive. You don't have to offer some kind of code when you're selling illicit drugs. You can simply go to Facebook and say, please. And then they tick off and approve it. Now, we've given New South Wales Police a rundown of what happened. We've actually given them some audio of our investigation and how it began. And we've asked for them for some kind of response. And we ask questions like, um, has Exotic House come before the interest of New South Wales Police? Uh, and now that you have information from us, will you will there be some kind of investigation? Pretty obvious, obvious questions. Well, have a listen to the response we received. According to Kylie Kalietsoglu, a senior constable at the New South Wales Police Media Liaison Office, quote, a formal report complaint would need to be made in person at your local police station if you would like to police to investigate. They're telling the media you'd have to go up to your local police station. She says, we as a media unit do not investigate crime. Really? And do not refer emails to police for investigation. Really? As they need to come from the complainant for further follow-up and updates. If you would like police to investigate the source of, sorry, they actually misspelt that. If you would like police to investigation the source of this Facebook ad, they can't write proper English. I would recommend you report it to your local police station. Looking at the screenshot you've provided, I cannot confirm if the exotic house is based in Bankstown, which was Warwick's suspicion, because he's in that area and they said they were nearby. It may have been a sales job uh, or a sales line. Or we cannot tell if it's a hoax or scam, unquote. Talk about a brush off. Talk about a sidestep. How informative to know that the police media unit doesn't investigate crime. Who do they think they're talking to? I've been doing roles like this for, you know, more than 42 years. I have probably contacted directly or indirectly the New South Wales Police Media Unit 5,000 times, maybe more, maybe more than 5,000 times in 44 years. I know they don't investigate crime, you dummy but you have about a hundred different agencies who do. Would it not be, I don't know, fitting that when you get this very valuable information with a witness, that you pass it on to the drug squad and ask them the questions we asked you, because that's what we were interested in. Not that you're investigating, you're a media unit but that maybe the drug squad had heard of the exotic house, or maybe now that they've got all of this information from us, they could use the information to catch the crooks. Now, I would have thought their main intention, whether you're with the police media unit, the drug squad, or the chief 
crook and bottle washer is to catch the crooks. Why is it to push paper around and start replying to the media in this way? Uh, what? I'm going to go up to the local police station, am I, after this radio program to tell them about what I just discovered on the radio? And then maybe it'll get that, like, seriously. Um, you know, I, I bet if I stood over a dead body sometime this afternoon and rang police media, I wouldn't have to go up to the local police station. It's it's blatant drug selling online. Um, we have a witness who communicated with the sellers. We know basically what area they operate in. It's on a platform available to anyone above 13 years of age. Wouldn't you think that they'd be very, very thankful for the information and they would go in search of answers or get their drug squad to do their job? Now, if this is policing in 2024, keep me away from it because seriously, that's a cop-out and nothing more. This is TNT. Going 360 on the headlines. It's really well-balanced conversation. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, he's an independent upper house MP. He's a former mayor, a former federal opposition leader as well. He's been having a terrific time on holidays. I've been watching some of his photos. He's been at the cricket, as you do if you're an Australian, and his name is Mark Latham. He's an MLC, and he's with us right now. Mark, welcome back for 2024. Happy New Year. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. Happy New Year, and it's good to be back talking to you about the issues. Yeah, and plenty of issues to start us off. I want to get to your crystal ball. I'd love to know what you think will happen in the UK and the United States and Australia in 2024, but we'll get to that in just a second. This is gobsmacking, though. We've seen many, many examples of corporations, you know, going woke and then going broke. And I'm convinced that supermarket giant Woolworths will really feel the financial pain after it decided this week to take a black arm van view of Australia Day. They've decided to ban the sale of all Australia Day merchandise for our national day. The opposition leader, Peter Dutton, this afternoon has got this right, hasn't he, when he said we should all go and shop somewhere else? Absolutely. Uh, it's a disgraceful thing for Woolworths. I mean, it's not their job to be running politics. I don't know anyone who goes to Woolworths for their supermarket shopping or Big W for those type of items who goes there for a political purpose. Um, the truth is that on the 26th of January, as per every year, millions of Australians will proudly celebrate Australia Day. And uh, Woolworths in the past have sold uh, your Australian flags, caps, hats, T-shirts, things that make Australia Day special for those consumers, for those patriots. So why wouldn't they do it again? It's the job of these corporations not to be political. Nobody elected Woolworths to decide whether or not Australia Day is a good or bad thing. People can make up their own mind about that. And for those who want the merchandise, uh, they'll be very disappointed that Woolworths has taken a political stance to say it's no longer available. And um, why would they do that, particularly after the failure of the voice referendum? I think it runs against their own corporate interests and, and I would have thought their shareholders uh, should be contacting the management to say, hang on, we're not a political organisation, we're a company that sells merchandise, products, uh, supermarket um, uh, items, so why don't we just sell that to the consumers who want to buy them and those who want to make their protest about Australia Day, they can do that as well. Mm. I also think that they're going to suffer from this. I actually am convinced that people will vote with their feet and go elsewhere. 
Well, there's no doubt about that. Like, obviously, they'll go elsewhere to get their Australia Day type yes. uh, gear. So Woolworths misses out on that. I would have thought it was a pretty lucrative sale that they've had in the past, particularly at yeah. Big W. But to make a judgment that Australia Day is no longer acceptable, uh, a lot of the consumers will think, well, that's not the sort of company that I want to spend my money with. So their shareholders, like a consumer boycott is one thing, but the shareholders should be up in arms about this. They've invested their hard-earned for a company to maximise profits, to sell the items the consumers want to buy. So they should, hopefully at the, whatever the meetings are, the shareholder meetings or any other forum, they can ask these questions of management and, and say to management, why have you turned this into a political organisation instead of a profitable company? I must have missed the news story that day when the last AGM at Woolworths, where the shareholders asked Woolworths management to make um, uh, a decision and make a point of boycotting Australia Day. I must have missed that AGM story, Mark. Well, no, this is what happens with these woke corporations. It's uh, the elite management who don't consult anyone, don't consult their shareholders, certainly haven't run a survey of their consumers, their shoppers. You know, it'd be nice for the shoppers to be asked, do you still want to buy Australia Day merchandise? And they would have overwhelmingly said yes. Yeah. So it's an elite, arrogant, political yeah. woke decision that's out of step with the result on the voice referendum and the common sense proposition of what a company should be. Um, you know, corporations have a big, big responsibility, fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders, and they should discharge that by first and foremost maximising their sales and their profit, and they should leave politics to the people who've been elected for that purpose. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Just looking more broadly, I noticed that the government 100 days ago said, oh, we're going to do something about setting up a review to make sure that we police the supermarket giants and what prices they're, they're charging us all. But it took them 100 days to find someone to run a review. They're not serious, are they? Well, they found Craig Emerson, who's a former minister in the Rudd and Gillard governments. I'm not too sure that's the best credential to have on your CV. And he was elected to the federal parliament 25 years ago. So whatever contribution he's had to make about supermarket pricing, um, he's been pretty silent about it. I was in the parliament there with him. I can't say he had too much to say about supermarket pricing. But the big issue is that Coles and Woolworths, the big two, this duopoly that we've got, unfortunately, in Australia, they need to be subject to more competition. The independent yep. uh, stores um, need a, a leg up, as much government assistance as we can uh, facilitate. And uh, they need to stop the practice of very quickly putting the prices up, but very slowly bringing them down, and in the process ripping off the farm sector in particular. So Emerson has a job ahead of him on how to do that. Um, I mean, we've just talked about Woolworths. They're not very popular at the moment with people who are proud of Australia and less popular in the knowledge they do a fair bit of price gouging. Yeah. I told a story to Holly Hughes yesterday on air, and I apologise for those viewers who are seeing this again, but I met someone over the Christmas break who was a ginger farmer, and she just closed her doors. She no longer uh, wants to farm ginger because she was making it, or she was being paid $2.50 a kilo for her ginger. It sold at $27 a kilo in Woolworths. Now, presumably, you'd think, oh, hang on, they've got to freight it. Well, sorry, she was told she had to pay for the freighting. But how do you go from $2.50 for the farmer to selling it at $27 a kilo if it's not just out-and-out out daylight robbery? 
Well, there's no explanation, is there? And, and even the freight couldn't possibly cost that much. Uh, what, 10, 15 times the, the product itself. Um, so, you know, these things are without explanation. And Emerson needs to find a way to make it a lot more transparent. Yeah. Uh, perhaps they, they, they need to force the companies into an explanation. I mean, just um, in the past week or so, companies are now uh, supposed to publish data about the so-called gender pay gap, uh, which I think will be misleading data ultimately. It would be much more useful if Woolworths and Coles were forced into an explanation of that level of markup. Where does it come from? How can it be justified? And why are they ripping off the farmers and ultimately ripping off the shoppers as well? Yeah, very true. Got to take a quick break. We'll come back with you, Mark, after that, right here on TNT. TNT Radio's Timothy Shea. The double standard is out there. It's so obvious. It's so frustrating. Eric Holder gets held in contempt of Congress for defying a congressional subpoena. Nothing happens. Obama's DOJ didn't pursue it. Steve Bannon and Peter Navarro defy a congressional subpoena. Joe Biden's DOJ criminally prosecutes them. Criminally prosecutes them for defying a congressional subpoena. And now we've got congressional subpoenas of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the resident's brother. And guess what? Nothing's going to be done by Merrick Garland, Barack Obama, Joe Biden's DOJ. That's right. I said Barack Obama. Obama's the shadow president. He's not the one pulling the strings. He wasn't pulling the strings in his own administration. You know, Valerie Jarrett was his minder. Where is the Iranian-born Valerie Jarrett these days? Haven't seen or heard much of her. It's because the Democrats are smart. Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Take us back in time. And who was Mike Flynn? He was the National Security Advisor to the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard? Why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States? When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump. To which I say, cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations, that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. At this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism, or you're talking about communism. Socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism. But the goal is the same, for the state to have control of every aspect of your life. We have multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue. They took fewer men in the takedown of El Chapo than they did to arrest me. And Comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And give, now I need some ideas about how to execute this, basically this act of treason. I think we all know, James Comey, that you're a great storyteller because you made up the entire story about Crossfire Hurricane. So it's really fitting that a criminal like yourself wrote a crime novel. Do you remember me? Remember me from your book signing? It doesn't matter whether they're Republican or Democrat. People will sell their soul to obtain an ounce of political power in Washington, D.C. I don't even know that draining the swamp is the appropriate metaphor anymore after what we've seen these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C. When, you know, Satan is 
tempting Jesus in the desert. I'll, I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done. The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com. Today's News Talk Radio. I do a lot of streaming radio. I do a lot of free streaming. TNTradio.live. Just a couple of quick reactions from our viewers about what we've had to say, at least this hour, and in terms of our investigation into illicit drugs being sold on Facebook, Tom says, your local police station wouldn't know Arthur from Martha in terms of how to investigate crimes on social media. Of course they wouldn't, as if that's under their jurisdiction. Um, that's just ridiculous. Tony says from Stanmore in Sydney, um, great show, Chris, today. I will be going out of my way to buy Australia Day merchandise from IGA, Coles, Aldi, and whoever else to stick it to arrogant Woolworths. Let's get back to Mark Latham right now. Um, this particular councillor is not the first, Mark, but Councillor Steve Christo's intention to stop his council's welcome to country ceremonies has triggered quite a reaction. Agree or disagree with him? I agree, absolutely. Um, there's one thing to respect um, Indigenous heritage and culture in Australia, but uh, the welcome to country has just been so overdone. Now it's lost all of its meaning. And in many cases, it's just completely inappropriate. I mean, I was at the uh, Big Bash Cricket on Monday night at Homebush, and there's a fellow yelling into the microphone, welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, I've been to that arena to watch sport about 30 times. I don't need a welcome to a place that I know uh, inside out. <laughs> and anyway, uh, cricket is supposed to be a colonial game. Isn't that the problem for the Indigenous? They had nothing to do with the construction of the, of the arena and the design of that type of architecture. So the virtue signalling is way out of control. At local government level, maybe it makes them feel better about Indigenous issues. Steve Christou is from the Cumberland, sort of Lidcombe, central Sydney, area where they wouldn't have uh, any kind of significant indigenous population so all of this is meaningless virtue signaling and it's always a distraction from the real issues the questions of alcohol and drug dependency welfare dependency uh, child sexual abuse academic epidemic you find in western new south wales you know they're the big things that need to be addressed not uh, welcome to country ceremonies and, and statements that quite frankly are losing all their meaning no, overdone to the max, overdone big time. Now, our CPI numbers were down. Surely that means interest rates will follow the trend, won't they? Well, one would have thought so. I think the interest rate rises have, have gone too far and there's evidence that they're hurting the economy. So if inflation is being subdued, you'd think there'd be a bit of relief there for home buyers, uh, probably by the middle of the year or the end of the year. You could see a cut in interest rates in Australia as inflation comes further under control so it's been mismanagement by the Reserve Bank but hopefully these new encouraging inflation numbers are a sign we won't see any more interest rate rises and in fact there'll be some uh, cuts later in the year you can only hope so in, in terms of the housing affordability crisis. Alright grab your crystal ball what will happen in the UK in 2024 politically will the Tories get a spanking and a half? Well it looks that way doesn't it the opinion polls are horrendous for them, deservedly so. They've, they've, they've been a, a government that's um, chaotic along the scale of Rudd and Gillard that we saw here in Australia. I mean, every mm. other day there's a minister resigning and they've been through so many prime ministers, a revolving door. So yeah. Labor and Keir Starmer, really, they've only got to stay on their feet. I think the interesting development will be the Reform Party, uh, which is the uh, group 
under the banner of Nigel Farage. Yeah. And uh, there might be a realignment of British politics that Reform Party is going to appeal to Conservatives much more than the traditional Tory party. So I think a change of government there is almost certain. It would be um, an earthquake in the other direction for Labor to lose. Um, you've got the, the US, where I, I suppose it's all about Donald Trump. You'd have to think he's going to be the Republican nominee. Mm. And um, if that's the case, well, anything can happen, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a case of strap yourself in, grab your popcorn and, and watch American politics in this election year. It should be absolutely amazing. Yeah, it's it's surreal already. It's surreal already with all of these indictments that he's facing, etc. And in Australia, by the end of the year, surely Anthony Albanese has his last supper. Uh, I don't know. I, the, the Labor Party caucus is divided as to what sort of person or who's the person who could possibly replace Albanese, who had a terrible 2023 domestically. Um, I think he'll probably survive the year and uh, and battle on. He needs to do something about the cost of living crisis because clearly the voice was a major distraction, a complete waste of money. Um, nobody's got their huge electricity bill decrease. Um, so all of those broken promises are hurting him, but I don't think there's any logical replacement inside the Labor Party who's got the numbers. And if you're looking at a change in the head of government, it'll probably be in Queensland, I think, where they've got an election due. Anastasia yeah. Palaszczuk got out at the right time. She got yeah. out and resigned before the public could kick her out. And uh, you'd have to think that the LNP up there will come into office, uh, although they have a great habit of messing it all up. But uh, that's the big election we've got this year, Queensland, and uh, I'd be tipping a change of government. Love it. Now, very quickly, on our uh, joint uh, and mutual love of cricket, Steve Smith now opening. She's in the furnace yeah, he, he put his hand up. The Australian selectors thought it was a terrific idea. I've got to say, for a number of reasons, I don't like it. Well, I, I hate the idea of strengthening a position in any kind of sporting team, but then you weaken the position that you have already um, consolidated. I think that's the first thing. Um, secondly, when you put someone who's mid-30s with someone else who's mid-30s plus in those roles, both of them have probably only got two years left of their careers, so that's not too sensible. What are your thoughts on Steve Smith opening for Australia? Well, it's a shock move. Nobody contemplated this even four or five weeks ago. We all knew David Warner was retiring at the top of the order, but Steve Smith has been successful at number four, but not getting a lot of runs in Test match cricket um, in the past 18 months. Tends to get to 30 and 40 and then gets out. Yeah. So I would have thought he needed to regather his form at number four. Nobody ever thought that Cameron Green would be the number four batsman for Australia. So mm. it's a radical uh, move to, to do this. Steve Smith himself, I think, turns 36 mid-year. So yeah. it's not the age where you normally go from uh, four to one in the batting order. Mm. Um, but they're only playing the West Indies. They'll probably all score them out in the runs, and the selectors will <laughs> say we've indicated. But the real <laughs> test will come when Australia has to play uh, England in the Ashes and uh, India, India in Test match cricket, which is not too far away, and that's going to be a lot, a lot more um, um, searching test than they'll get from the West Indies. That'll sort the sheep from the goats. Mate, thank you very much for coming on. Um, I don't know what state your break is up at the moment, but if you've got a few more days, enjoy them, and we look forward to your company throughout the year. Yeah, I'm mid-work, uh, mid, um, part, part work, part holiday at the moment, which I suppose is the, the pattern for a lot of people in politics. But uh, all the best for 2024 for you, Chris, and your many listeners, and hopefully we'll have many good talks about uh, politics and everything else that's going on.
Excellent, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Great stuff. Independent Upper House MLC. Mark Latham, who calls a spade a very big bloody shovel when he's required to and uh, calls it the way he sees it, which is how we like it right here on TNT. Time to read some news. TNT Radio News. Back again with a look at your TNT headlines. I'm Matt Boyland. The lineup of Republicans seeking the presidential nomination got a little shorter on Wednesday after Chris Christie threw in the towel. Donald Trump has vowed to carry out the largest deportation operation in American history if he's successful in retaking the White House. And a human rights lawyer and active member of New Zealand's parliament has been stood down pending the result of an investigation into shoplifting allegations. Are you enjoying listening to TNT Radio? Do you think we're doing a good job? Then please let us know. Why not leave us a like or a positive review or comment on Facebook, Gab or Getter. Help us get the word out as we cover the biggest topics of our time on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Well, we're about to speak to someone who knows his news too, knows his uh knows his current affairs, but in particular understands the uh, trajectory of politics and where things are up to. He's a former 2GB and 2UE talkback host, a former television news director, roving commentator on both radio and television. Jason Morrison, Happy New Year to you. Hey, Chris, g'day. Yes, you too. Happy 2024. It occurred to me the other day, I still haven't actually written the date anywhere, so I've had no practice in writing 2024. (laughs) You're the first one. No, I've had a lot of practice. For some reason, I'm saying it well, maybe maybe because I hated 2023 so much, but I'm very willingly putting down 2024. It's very easy for me. Just quickly on, on what we spoke with Mark Latham, the um, the, the look at the, the world ahead, I, I won't ask you about Australia or the UK, but in the United States, you, you're a great watcher of American politics right now. As an outsider, but someone who is glued to the machinations, can Trump win this from here? He can lose it. <laughs> I actually think he's winning it right now, but he can lose it. You know, I, I, it troubles me to say this a bit because I don't see much other great hope coming down the, the passageway at the moment in the Republican Party. But the more that Donald speaks not at rallies, I'll, I'll say the less impressive he is sounding. At the yeah. moment, and I'm, I'm not going to say it's age getting to him or anything like that because there could be a dimension to all this. It has been a few years and there's been a hell of a lot go on in these last few years in his life. That can hurt any man anywhere. Mm. Um, I, I worry about that. I worry about what will happen if a lot of Americans who, who are inclined to vote to him because they can see the demonization and a protest vote, yep. I worry that they'll start to say, oh, gee, actually, this guy is going to be my next president. They're going to look a lot closer at him than probably they have to date. And and then you'll look a little broader and you'll start seeing, I'll call them the compromise candidates that the Republican Party would shoot through. And if that vote splits and, you know, and we start seeing people um, unable to make a mind up or unable to commit, um, that could sort of water down the Trump vote. And then you, who knows what? The, yeah. the other mob are going to put up. I mean, you know, who is it today? Is it Michelle Obama? Is it one of the daughters? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is it Hillary? She gave another crack. Uh, that you know, that is the worst case scenario. And, and God, I mean, I think about it. And Biden, Mark two. Yeah. I mean, he still thinks he's given it a crack. <laughs> I don't know. We've got 300 days approximately. It'll be a, a fun-filled 300 days, no doubt. I want to go from the United States to Europe now, and. 
European Greenies are having conniptions uh, as we speak. They're upset that France is introducing a new energy bill that favours the further development of nuclear power and avoids setting targets for renewables. Now, given the fact that France has probably got a lot of experience in all aspects of power, like they've been they've been putting up uh, renewable wind turbines for many decades. They're 70% run by nuclear energy. This is an area that they are expert in, and they have decided to take a different path. What do you read into that? Well, I, I read that the president is is reading the room, and, and the room right now is saying logical outcomes in tough times. France's electricity price, bizarrely, is about the same as Australia's. I, I think uh, in, in it's converted to US dollars, they're just a little bit in front of us. But... It, it actually is quite comparable, and our situation is is very very different to theirs. I mean, they they if they put nuclear on hold, their base load is is oil. That's what generates their power, oil and gas. Yeah. Um, whereas we've got coal, and we've got plenty of it in the backyard, still growing for many hundreds of years, and they have to buy our uranium from us. So they've got a lot of tensions on their electricity grid that. Funnily enough, we don't have here because mm. we've got it all. And we got, we've got coal and plenty of it. We've got sun and plenty of it. We've got plenty of wind, <laughs> particularly in some corridors of Australia. <laughs> and then we've got, uh, you know, this uranium thing, which we don't want to even think about, which is nutter stuff. So in France, they're having the logic debate. We're not having the logic debate here. We're having the dim-witted Chris Bowen debate. And the dim-witted Chris Bowen debate is things like, Let's go get uh, old oil tankers and put 200-metre-high windmills on them and stick them off the coast of New South Wales and run big, heavy cables out to sea so we can bring relentless power. It's crazy stuff. Mm. France wants to build more nuclear plants because it's gone, hang on, the crisis here is emissions. That's their view anyway. The crisis yeah. is emissions. So what do we know that has no emissions and is really good at providing base load and heaps of it because France is a huge exporter of energy across Europe. You look at the grid map and it's all roads lead back to France. So France is, is lifting up Germany, is lifting up its neighbours and it makes a bit of money out of electricity and logic is starting to kick in. But see, the French are pretty good with the political engineering logic because, you know, back when when you particularly, but 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 I was too and others were talking loudly to gatherings of people on the, the you know, in your case, the, the doorstep of Parliament House in Canberra and there were rallies around Sydney and I had a word at a few of those things. Most people figured out that the carbon tax was just going to lift the price of electricity. Yeah. Well, they figured that out in France too and there was there was rioting on the streets. People mm. were fuming about it and the president's just gone, mm, don't like the look of this, shut it down, we don't need it. So their carbon tax is on transportation, fuel use, things like that, not on power. Mm. And, uh, you know, we still haven't figured that out yet. We've still got this fantasy that you can put taxes on things and improve the quality of air in the world and all that crap that they go on with. Um, France has figured out there's a logical outcome and it's worked for them for a very long time and it's called nuclear and it can work yeah. for us. Yeah, of course it can. But you've got the likes of um, uh, Jason Falinski, who's now become a, yeah. uh, you know, a big... Uh, a big cog in the Liberal Party wheel, and he is 
forcing the National Party to join with the Liberal Party and forge through with their CO2 emissions targets for 2035. He doesn't want to have a bar of backing off on this ideology. And so you've got yeah. the Liberal Party, who, who will be the next government, maybe as soon as 2025, who seem to be following the same path, being Labor light and doing exactly the same thing, opposite to what France is doing and what Sweden did back in August last year, which is to get rid of the 2035 emissions targets and go hard on nuclear. Well, it's people like Felinski that will cost Peter Dutton the election. Uh, people like Felinski, I mean, I'll call them the enemy within, are the sort of people that are going to undo his prospects because all of a sudden they'll, they'll all be the bedwetters in and around the Liberal Party that will start looking at this and say, oh, you know, Felinski, who's a powerful bloke here and and, and this is the stupidity of people like him and Matt Keane and others in New South Wales, but they're all around Australia. They, they look at the polling and the polling, they say, right, well, we've got to win back these teals. So we've got to be like the teals, yes. do what the teals want and all this. Yes. And, and that's what he's doing because yep. that's what the research would be saying. Mm -hmm. But, you, you know, you, you sp spend three months away from the research and go for a walk around Australia and talk to people. Everyone is talking about how expensive life is right now. Yep. They're not talking about how clean the air is we breathe or, gee, I hope we can do our contributions to meet targets by 2050. <laughs> They're not talking about that. No. And, you know, and, and I feel for Dutton because he knows it. But it, it, the way the Liberal Party is, in, in, particularly in the East Coast, it is so beholden to people like Polinsky and the Matt Keynes and there's a few others. There's a fellow in New South Wales called Chris Rath's rising up. And they, these guys are, I mean, you know, they're far left people. They're not regular. You, you, you wouldn't, there wouldn't be a person watching us or even people who wouldn't want to watch us who would listen to their views and go, these are mainstream. They're yeah. activists yeah. and they're not activists for the people who vote them in. They're activists for the, 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 the other mob. It's really very odd. Um, I, I saw that last night with Felinski and I thought there's Peter Dutton's problem. It's yeah. the same problem that Tony Abbott had. It's the same problem that, to a degree, Scott Morrison had to yes. manage and couldn't and it knocked him out. Yeah. And it just means you end up having all these policies everywhere which don't make any sense to people who are actually looking for a hard line. How are you going to bring down my energy prices? How are you going to make my life cheaper? How are you going to do all this sort of stuff? And people like Falinski want to be able to say, oh, yes, but we addressed the emissions thing and we also dealt with that here. We got a little bit here and there's a bit more there. That's their game. They're a buck each way on everything. Yeah, exactly. Adam Crichton's story in The Australian goes even further on what we're discussing here. He was reporting today that miners, security experts and a US electrics giant, Westinghouse, is big on nuclear at the moment, yeah. all say that Australia is about to be left behind the rest of the world, especially on small modular nuclear reactors. And, and sadly, he's right and they are right because the Albanese government is just too damn dumb to see yep. what's staring at them in the face as the solution to baseload power. Well, I, I look at it like this. Politically, if you're Albanese, you look around Australia right now and you say, um, which community wants a nuclear reactor? Not many. There's not many putting their hands up. So uh, the only way it's going to happen is through incredible levels of bureaucracy and planning and development applications and whatever else. If you legalise it, if you say 
look, we're not going to build them. Australia is not going to build them. But if you want to come to Australia and build some new plants and you can put up the capital and buy the land and go through all the approval processes and whatever else, we will stop making it unlawful because yeah. at the moment it's illegal. It's as illegal as, you know, as, as wearing a bulletproof vest down the street. It's as illegal as, as holding up a takeaway store. It's, it's crazy stuff. Yeah. So y- you actually could make it look like you were open to an intelligent approach even if you weren't because there's there's no one knocking down the door right now to build these things but these small modular plants and these micro plants whilst not yet being viable and not yet really doing the job they're getting there you know when you think about how quickly technology and manufacturing moves along they're getting there Mm. and they're not going to be put onto the market and we won't be buying the very first one in the world but i guess the arguments coming out of the united states are you know Guys, get your orders in because it's everyone's going to want one of these. Yeah, and they're talking about putting them in remote pockets of Australia or next to really energy intensive places like yeah. oh, aluminium plants, for example. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's an aluminium plant just north of Newcastle that uses yeah. a very large portion of New South Wales power. Yeah, it's the same applies to, to WA. There are there are isolated pockets of WA who would be so benefited and so. Uh, advantage, you know, a- advantage mm. by having a small nuclear modular reactor right next to their region because there are, you know, they're, they're seven hundred miles from the nearest power plant. Yeah, yeah, and and, and they're running. And I still used to see it when I was working for a mining company a couple of years ago. You, you go to Port Hedland, and you'd see all these trucks, and they're triple trucks, they're not just one truck of diesel. They're triple trucks, one, yeah. one, two, three behind, and they can't tie up the rail line moving diesel in there because. It would just take too long. So they've got to get trucks to to deliver diesel, and it's a 24-hour roster. They've got to keep the diesel going inland to the various mines that are in the Pilbara, where the iron ore wealth of Australia is being dug out. They'd love to have one of these things. There's only one thing I think about all the time with that, those little modular plants, is there's not a lot of water sitting out there in the Pilbara, and you do need water to cool them down. So it's not as straightforward as it always looks, but it would be perfect for, say, the big aluminium smelters that are along the coast all the major centres that want to be able to say, hey, you know, let's make this up for a second. Move to Townsville where energy is a third the price of the West of Australia and come to Townsville and set up your industry here because we want your business and we'll do anything for it because we have the cheapest power in Australia right now. Yeah, I, I want to raise a subject I raised with Mark as well. The story of the year so far, I think, in our country is the woke and anti-Australian stance taken by Woolworths to basically ban any kind of Australia Day merchandise in their stores, <laughs> they are going to oh, pay no. for this big time, aren't they? They are. They are. Um, my local shop is a Woolworths, and uh, I've decided, and, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm principled for a week or a month or whatever it happens to be until I need milk at the very last minute, but it'll be only a handful of shoppers that have to do it or people boycott for a week or two and they'll feel it. They're, 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 their earnings will drop. You know, the irony of all of this is for all of righteous Woolworths, and I think is a very righteous company, it all carries on to the bag bullshit all the time and it's always telling us, you know, how, how much it's doing for the environment and whatever else. And then you go and you see it's organic vegetables that are wrapped in plastic. You, think, uh-uh. you know, Woolworths is kidding itself on many fronts. But the very stuff that they're objecting for fear of upsetting people is selling is made in China. Yes. You know, it's like, wow. You're so great, Woolworths. I'm so proud of your stance. Um, that'll hurt them. One or two percent of reduction in turnover in a few weeks 
they will be screaming and it will be reversed. Um, you watch, they'll be selling it by Australia Day. I'd be stunned if not. It'll be a, we've listened to the public. We got it wrong. Here's a patriotic green and gold commercial to prove that we love you guys and we don't mind screwing you over with prices as we do it. Yeah, well, I think the Australian public has woken up to them. Now, very quickly, before we let you go, the media goss today says you've been offered a job running the Alan Jones Digital Television Network, ADH.TV. You've decided not to comment on the story, but have you got an exclusive reply for us? I'll, I'll not comment on your program as well. Look, I'm having a chat to these guys. Um, Chris, in, in simple terms, I'm not, I'm not obfuscating here. I'm, I'm employed still by Channel 7. Right. And, and I, I loved working there. I loved the place. Um, I left there after a long time before I dropped dead in the chair, which was, <laughs> was going to happen. I could feel it. Um, so, I, you know, I, I don't want to disrespect their decency of keeping me on contract, even even if it's mean not doing very much for them Got at it. the moment. And, and I think that the, the whole time I'd love to do something new. And, and I think this environment that you're in and that the, the ADH company is in, in sort of, you know, just being a little bit, uh, a little bit on fringes, but rapidly, rapidly growing fringe. I, I don't see a problem at all with it, and I think yeah. it's a fascinating corner of the media. And you proved it. I mean, a year ago, who would have thought this would still be here a year later? And look, yeah. it's television now. Yeah, Will you come yeah, and it's... work for me if I go there? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I can't comment on that either. <laughs> <laughs> Make for a no comment. <laughs> It's fantastic to have you on board, mate. Great to have you on the show today and your insights. All very appreciated, especially your time. I'll let you get back to it. Thank you. Thanks, mate. All the best. Good on you. Jason Morrison, good to have him on the program. There you go. He's much sought after, a fellow who um, has been an executive in newsrooms and has been behind the microphone on both sides of this particular sector, knows his stuff, and no doubt he's been chased by other people as well, but we just don't know about it. Um, we'll take a break and then come back, hopefully, with your calls. Plenty of issues on the agenda after two hours of uh, full-on uh, issue-based commentary from the US or Canada. If you've got something to say, give us a call on one 201 6425 or from the UK, 33 024 1026 or from Australia and New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. This is Chris Smith on TNT. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, 
then it kind of starts to work itself out. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Uh, There's plenty more to tell you about. Um, Out of the Sydney Morning Herald this afternoon, a breakaway cell of one of Sydney's largest criminal syndicates took on a murder contract to kill four members of the city's highest profile rap crew, 1-4. Now, a lot of people would know and have heard of 1-4 previous to this, but detectives apparently foiled the plot. It's like straight out of a movie, this stuff. And police have confirmed all of this this afternoon. The cell has also been allegedly linked to a series of violent kidnappings that led police to hundreds of kilograms of cocaine. A police strike force late last year dismantled the Hoshar Organised Crime Syndicate. They, it's OCN. It's known in the criminal world as OCN which was allegedly commanded by notorious criminal Bilal Hoshar from hiding in Lebanon. The exiled Sydney crook police allege was pulling the strings on what may have been Sydney's largest single crime syndicate, funneling drugs and guns from across the world into Australia. Strike force Trumpiri, which has put 28 alleged Hoshar syndicate henchmen behind bars, 28, Revealed on Thursday, it had arrested a leader of an offshoot criminal cell that was allegedly taking on contract work from rival crime groups to carry out murders and kidnappings. The cell was allegedly conspiring to murder the four high-profile rappers from Sydney's northwest as part of one contract. The targets were all part of the controversial drill rap crew 1-4. A documentary released last year charted One Fall's rise from Sydney's northwest and the efforts of New South Wales police to shut down their live shows. But the New South Wales Police State Crime Command announced today the alleged murder plot had been discovered and disrupted. They've done surveillance on the intended victims, Detective Superintendent Peter Foe told reporters today. They're following the intended victims on social media. They are extremely committed and are extremely organised. We've seized firearms, he said, which were intended to be used in this plot. We've seized stolen motor vehicles, which they had stolen and placed in respect to using in the intended murders. Foe said the alleged murder contract appeared to stem from a conflict between the rappers and the crime syndicate that had allegedly hired the murder cell. Police raided a home in Cartwright in southwestern Sydney just after 6am today, arrested Brandon Masuli, an alleged member of the murder cell. Masuli was taken to Liverpool Police Station where he is expected to be charged with conspiracy to murder, conspiracy to kidnap, conspiracy to commit armed robbery, firearms offences and supplying a large commercial quantity of a prohibited drug. A 20-year-old man was arrested simultaneously in nearby Sadlia in southwestern Sydney and charged with similar offences. Police also alleged the murder cell was linked to a series of kidnapping plots, including one that led police to discover hundreds of kilograms of cocaine stashed in a unit block. Um, It goes on. More arrests, more suspicions, and the investigation continues. It is a major breakup of what could have been a slaughter of a very high-profile rap group, a music group in Sydney. Um, That's all I've got. That comes out of the Sydney Morning Herald, but they did face the media 
this afternoon and uh, described exactly what they have disrupted. Now, one of the stories dominating headlines in Britain at the moment concerns the post office. Now, I don't know whether you've been following this, but it's quite an amazing story and it's got uh, it's been headlines for three or four days. Post office investigators, investigators in the UK were offered cash bonuses for every sub-postmaster convicted during an Horizon scandal, it has emerged. Alan Bates, the sub-postmaster who led the campaign for justice, joined a deluge of criticism over the practice on Wednesday, saying offering financial incentives for prosecutions was appalling as he highlighted the horrendous culture of the UK post office. It's basically been deconstructed by a series of scandals. Investigators with the post office described the incentive scheme as part of the business with everyone in the security team on a bonus. Guy Gary Thomas, who worked in the post office security team between 2000 and 2012, told the post office Horizon Inquiry that the bonus targets affected how he went about his work. Mr. Thomas branded all sub-postmasters crooks in emails concerning one victim who was posthumously cleared. The messages were handed to the inquiry, which resumes tomorrow. Mr. Bates, who is in the central character in the Mr. Bates versus the Post Office ITV drama, said the Post Office seems to have a bonus culture running right through it. And in another day of rapid developments in this long-running scandal, Rishi Sunak, the Prime Minister, pledged today to introduce a law that would exonerate sub-postmasters with an ambition to quash all convictions this year. In exchange for signing a document declaring their innocence, sub-postmasters will receive £600,000 in compensation, though some victims said the sum was insufficient recompense for their suffering. The Crown Prosecution Service also disclosed for the first time yesterday that it had prosecuted sub-postmasters while Sir Keir Starmer, the Labor leader, headed the organisation. Now, this is where the scandal turns into a political problem for the Labor Party because Sir Keir Starmer is destined to become the Prime Minister before the end of 2024. Um, you know, there'll be no more Rishi Sunak, there'll be no more Tories, but he was running the post office at the time this scandal began. And it'll be interesting to see how that plays out on the political front. But at this stage, from what we can determine, um, some of these, uh, the pressure is now on government to then turn around and try and recompense some of those who were wrongly prosecuted. And when you are offering bonuses for, for prosecutions, even at a small level, even for traffic cops, it, it ends up being prosecutions for the sake of prosecutions. And therefore, you've got illegal prosecutions innocent people being brought up before courts and tribunals and convicted of crimes that they did not commit. And this is what has emerged from this investigation. And uh, I'll keep across it for you because paying bonuses to investigators to exact prosecutions is not the way criminal justice operates. Um, it really can be um, a very, very problem problematic thing. Now, tomorrow on the program, Mr. John Ruddick will be joining us, but I'll also be catching up with uh, former ADF 
intelligence officer Shane Healy after an incredible couple of weeks in Gaza Strip. I wanted to get his rundown of what has been uh, highlighted as this conflict between Hamas and Israel starts to spread in the Middle Eastern region. How far it will spread and will it involve Iran and then eventually China and Russia? Who knows? Let's pray that that does not happen. But Shane Healy will give us his rundown on the exact nature of the conflict between Hamas and Israel on the program tomorrow. I look forward to your company then. I'll leave you in the capable hands of Dean Mackin.